Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. These two were faithful slaves of the Lord during their entire Christian lives and have become patterns to us of ones that counted all things lost on account of Christ. Witness Lee completed his most comprehensive work called the Life Study of the Bible just before going to be with the Lord in 1997. This program combines short excerpts from his original speaking, along with some of our own comments and fellowship. And as always, we'd like to hear from you with your thoughts or answer any questions that might arise while you're listening. We'll repeat this contact information at the end of the program, but if you have a pen right now, jot down our toll-free number, which is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or you can reach us by email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. The Bible consummates with the revelation of the city of New Jerusalem. This indicates that the New Jerusalem is God's goal. In fact, every book in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is in some way related to the New Jerusalem as God's goal. And as the ultimate goal of his plan and purpose with man, the New Jerusalem is just too wonderful for us to imagine. And so God reveals this matter bit by bit, first by the Bible's own words, and then the stories, types, histories, shadows, and figures make it more and more clear to us. The Old Testament book of Jeremiah is rich in the aspects of God's economy that are revealed throughout. In Jeremiah, God's goal of having a group of human beings that have been filled with him and that bear his image and likeness to become his corporate expression for eternity is very much on display, and this vision unlocks all the riches and treasures in this book. Bob Danker has joined us for our fellowship. Bob, kind of a unique message we uh, are getting out of the uh, sort of grimy pages that are occupying the midsection of this book, and pull back now and get this bird's-eye view once again of God's purpose in his economy, and really that's the way to look at all these books, uh, Old Testament and New Testament, isn't it? That's right, Chris. It's so wonderful to pull back or ascend to yes. a higher ground That's better language. and take this kind of a view of God's economy because this is the view that we need to have as we read every book in the Bible. And we're talking here about Jeremiah, which is easy to get lost in many other things, <laughs> but we have yeah. to take everything in the context of God's economy, God's purpose, God's plan to dispense himself into man and make man the same as he is in life and in nature, so that God can express himself in a corporate way through his chosen people. This is a tremendous matter that we need to focus on time and time again. Well, there's no question that uh, for the first half of this life study, at least, of Jeremiah, the key verse, one we come back to again and again that Witness Lee uh, used as sort of the touchstone for this book was chapter 2, verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. Let me stop here before I finish the verse. If our listeners have been with us every day, they can probably finish the verse by now. But, you know, it's striking that he doesn't say here. Now, of course, Israel has completely departed. Their ways have uh, been so corrupted and have fallen so low. There's so many things that he could say. It's interesting, isn't it, that he doesn't say at this point, you should remember that I am 
the Almighty, your Creator, etc., etc. But what he comes up with here to finish this verse, it really underscores the point we are making today, that the matter of God's economy, this dispensing, and how he relates and wants to relate to man is really the key element in this book. So now let's finish the verse. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. It says it all, doesn't it? It says it all, Chris. Well, let's join Witness Lee with our first portion of his fellowship, and then we'll come back, Bob. God has an economy with a plan. The goal of God's economy is that he would have a group of human beings to bear his image and his likeness. Not only though, this is outwardly and inwardly to have his life, his nature. All these people are a corporate body to live him, to be one with him. Eventually, spontaneously, he is expressed not only by them, but through them. Not many expressions, but one expression by a corporate entity. This is the goal for God to express himself and to glorify himself. In doing this, he would also glorify these people. In other words, all these people got glorified in God's glorification. So, in glory, God and man. Man and God will be one. There is some distinction, but no more separation. Man and God, God and man, they are one. In life, in nature, in element, in essence, they are one in structure and in their constitution. They are one also in likeness, in image, and they are one in uh, purpose, in goal. In everything they are one. But there is the distinction between God and man. Regardless how much man will be one with God, still man will not be God in the sense of the Godhead. Man still remains as a man. God is God. Yes, he has become a man, but he did not give up his Godhead. The Godhead still is preserved, and the manhood is still limited. Man and God, God and man are one. What is this? This is the highest peak of the revelation of the Bible. And this is symbolized, is signified, is depicted, is portrayed by that wonderful holy city, the New Jerusalem. Bob, this was a very striking section, portion. He used a phrase here, This is the high peak of the revelation of the Bible. 
the culmination, the consummation, the new Jerusalem, but uh, what that symbolizes, what that indicates concerning the oneness that exists between God and man ultimately in his plan. This is tremendous, isn't it? It really is. This is really the kernel of the heart of the Bible, that God wants to dispense himself into man and mingle himself with man to such an extent that man and God become one in almost everything, in life, in nature, in image, in likeness, in constitution, even in glory. Eventually, God's glory would be manifested in and through a corporate group of people mm-hmm. which who become an organic body to express the triune God. This is only by God's dispensing himself into man can he produce such an entity in the universe. And, of course, the consummation of this plan and purpose of God, as pointed out by Brother Lee, is the New Jerusalem. In the New Jerusalem, uh, the New Jerusalem is simply God mingled with his chosen people to such an extent that they are one in every possible way except that God's chosen people never obtain or gain the Godhead. They never become a member of the Godhead, which means we never become an object of worship in the way that God is worshipped. That is uniquely God's, isn't it? That's right. God has the unique Godhead. Only he is self-existing and ever-existing. Whatever we have as his people is limited. We are his creatures. We will never be self-existing. That's right. We will never be omnipotent or omnipresent or omniscient as he is. We will never be independent in our existence. Everything we are and everything we have depends on our union and mingling with him. He in himself is God. We, by virtue of our being mingled with him, become God, but not in the Godhead. We become the same as he is in every way except for this distinction. There is a distinction. Right. God is God and man uh, always remains man. But as you said, uh, so many elements, so many aspects of the oneness there, the likeness, the expression, our constitution in life, in nature, even said in structure, this oneness becomes so much in the vein of the very oneness that does exist within the triune God, that man does have a part, not in the Trinity, as you said, not in the Godhead, but certainly in uh, this corporate ultimate expression of all that God is. That's right. There's a distinction between God and man, but in the New Jerusalem, God and man are no longer separated. Right. They are mingled. They are blended together into one corporate entity, the, the holy city, the New Jerusalem. Well, the whole Bible reveals that uh, this is carried out by this process, uh, the dispensing which we call God's economy in this ministry, and our listeners will have heard many times. But as we mentioned at the very beginning today, this is really a consistent thought developed from the beginning of the Bible all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And in this portion, just ahead, Witness Lee will take us back to Genesis, the early uh, chapters in Genesis, to see that this thought is very much present. We read in Jeremiah already, chapter 2, about God is the fountain of living waters, and what he had against his people Israel was forsaking him as the fountain. Well, in Genesis 2, 
It says, And out of the ground Jehovah God caused to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, as well as the tree of life in the middle of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And a river went forth from Eden to water the garden. And then in 16 and 17, man's fall has carries this consequence. And Jehovah God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of it you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here we have uh, the tree of life, the river, in the very, very beginning. And uh, the river reappears here, and we, uh, we'll see in coming messages in Jeremiah, the tree of life is also uh, going to be seen in Jeremiah. And before we're through today, we'll see uh, all of these things come together again, even in the final book, Revelation. So the picture is consistent, isn't it, Bob, from end to end? Absolutely. A very consistent picture from Genesis to Revelation of God's economy. Let's go back to Witness Lee. We come to Jeremiah with this view with the view of God's economy and God's dispensing. With other view, you can never understand any book of the Bible. God, through Jeremiah, presented himself to the children of Israel as the fountain of the living water. Suppose you come to my home, my wife will present you a cup of top tea in front of you. Of course, this indicates my wife wants you to drink it. Right? You shouldn't put your fingers in to wash your hands. <laughs> right? You just don't care for it. You don't drink it. You reject it. That's poor. That's what Israel did. But anyhow, you see, just like in the whole Bible, right after the creation of man, what God did with man. God did nothing. At the beginning of the Bible, it's a garden. A garden, beautiful garden. What did God charge man to do? He didn't charge. He only gave man a kind of warning. He put man in front of two trees. God told man, don't touch the other tree the tree of knowledge. And that tree is quite complicated. You get knowledge, you get good, the evil, and you get death. Don't touch that tree. This indicates you should only touch the other tree. That is God. Then right away beside the tree there was a river flowing. So the Bible at the beginning presented man with such a picture, indicating that God is the life tree, and God is the living water flowing in the river. For your existence, you should eat this tree and drink the river. Bob, let's talk about how the Bible begins. Uh, beyond the very, very first uh, few verses where we see that God created man, and, but really we get to the something intrinsic, something that really begins to reveal God's purpose very early on, don't we? That's right. You know, here in Jeremiah, going back to that verse that you've touched again yeah. and again, you know, God said that the first evil was that they forsook Jehovah or forsook God. And God didn't say, 
to them, you forsook me, the giver of the law. Mm -hmm. He said, you forsook me, the fountain fountain (laughs) of living waters. So here God presents himself through Jeremiah's word to his people as the fountain of living water. And of course, this has to draw us back to the first book in the Bible, where God presented himself to the first man, Adam, in the form of the tree of life and that river that was flowing there. Those were symbols signifying that God's desire was that man would take from no other source but God himself, would take God into him as food and drink. Of course, we're speaking spiritually. Right. Man would receive God into his spirit as the tree of life and the river flowing with the water of life so that God and man could become united and mingled together to be one. This is what fulfills God's eternal purpose. If man receives the tree of knowledge, he is led away from God. He lives a life independent of God, and he is absolutely frustrated from fulfilling the purpose of God. So this is probably the most crucial revelation in the entire Bible, the fact that God presents himself to all of us, Mm -hmm. as the tree of life with the water of life, with a desire that we would receive him and not turn away from him to another source, that is, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One brings us life and enables us to express God corporately. The second one brings us death and frustrates us and hinders and prevents us from fulfilling God's purpose. In Genesis, Bob, right after this uh, presentation of man uh, to the tree of life, and God really unveils that this was his purpose and desire, uh, we all know the story. Man failed to obey God, and as a consequence, you just said, the result, of course, was death. Really, what happened here was the serpent, God's enemy, makes his first appearance right at the beginning of chapter 3. Well, that same pattern is replicated or duplicated here in Jeremiah in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 13. This verse about forsaking him, the fountain of living waters. The second evil there, he says, you have committed two evils. You've hewn out for yourselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. Actually, here... Uh, We'll see in this portion just ahead, embedded in this uh, portion, we really see the serpent once again under the surface, don't we? Absolutely. All right, let's go back to Witness Lee for our final fellowship today. To the end of the Bible, what is there? Again, these two things. The river throwing with a toy. In Jeremiah, the first thing presented to us is such a thing. Jeremiah is just an abstracts of the entire Bible. After Genesis 2, you have Genesis 3. The devil came in, came in, aha, as a beautiful serpent. You know, the snake was very beautiful. The enemy came in, Eve and Adam, both got seduced to take the other tree, other than the tree of life. Then, in Jeremiah, in chapter 2, firstly, you have the fountain of living water right away. What is there? Snake. The serpent came in. The Israel got distracted from the first tree to the second. 
from the fountain of the living water to the idols. Apparently, they didn't go to the idols. They thought, we'd like to hew out some cisterns from the rock. Yet, they did not realize to do that is to take the other tree. So you could see in Jeremiah, just like in the Bible, there are two trees. Two trees. God was saying, foolish people, why wouldn't you take the tree of life? Why wouldn't you take me? Why would you go to the other tree? What is the other tree? The idols. Why wouldn't you come to me? Why you go to the other tree? Now you understand. When you go to the other tree, surely you abandon God. Bob, of course, in a very real way, uh, the Lord was telling Israel that they should never have forsaken him as the fountain to have that kind of a relationship with him. But this matter of hewing out the cisterns, really we know as we read the rest of the book and see the history of Israel, this was referring to their turning away from God and turning to idols, uh, other God. And this was no doubt the serpent's work among God's people, even in Jeremiah's time, wasn't it? Absolutely. Satan was there behind the scenes working to distract God's people and to cause them to forsake God himself as the fountain of the living waters. And then they realize that once they have forsaken God, they have to find a way to live. So they have to hew out for themselves some cisterns. But these were broken cisterns. And these cisterns, of course, were the idols. And of course, these broken cisterns hold no water, which means in these cisterns or in these idols, there's nothing that can give life, nothing of the living water that is in God as the fountain of the living waters. There's nothing to cause us to be one with God, to be filled and saturated with God and to become God's expression. There's nothing of life in the idols. Satan is always working yeah. uh, in God's people. That means in us, the believers. We are God's people. When we believed in the Lord, we came to him and we drank of him as the fountain. Right. The question is, are we still drinking of him today or have we turned away to hew out for ourselves some other cistern to satisfy us, to cause us to maintain our existence? God wants to be our unique source and he wants to be our life and our everything. But Satan is there, the serpent. Right. The beautiful one, outwardly beautiful. Inwardly, he's corrupt, evil, rotten to the core. <laughs> but outwardly, he has a beautiful appearance to seduce us. Satan is a seducer, seducing God's people to forsake God in a very practical way. So really what we see with uh, the children of Israel here is a reenactment almost of Genesis chapter 3, don't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. And before us every day, similar reenactment can take place. That's right. <laughs> Satan is not idle, inactive. He is very active. And his main work, I would say, is to seduce God's very people, the very people God chose and redeemed for himself to satisfy him and to fulfill his purpose. Satan seduces us to turn to another source, another tree, the tree of knowledge.
Of course, Bob, in Genesis, man is banished ultimately from the garden because of his sin and and falling away and forsaking the fountain, turning to the other cisterns. But he mentioned briefly right at the beginning of this section that the end of the Bible, what is there, we no longer see Satan. We no longer see the idols. But Revelation 22, and probably a good way to conclude the program today, I'll just maybe read these two verses at the beginning of the last chapter in the Bible. It has a glorious ending. We know how it comes out, don't we? We just need to get ourselves into the reality of it day by day. That's right. And he showed me a river of water of life, bright as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on this side and on that side of the river was the tree of life. There it is, from beginning to end and all the way through. God wants to be the fountain. God wants to be the tree of life to us. Amen. And these two things, as you pointed out, Chris, remain. They continue. They are eternal, whereas Satan is out of the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Bob, thanks for your fellowship today. I hope you were able to come back very soon. I look forward to it, Chris. Okay, our time is up. But before we go, we'll give you our toll-free number. Hope you'll contact us. You can get this one volume of the Life Study of Jeremiah. It also includes the Life Study of Lamentations. And if you'd like to get that volume... You can call us toll-free 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find out more about Witness Lee, these life study messages, or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.com. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.